So in a very underappreciated movie is Wally. Wally. How many Wally fans in the room? Right? Like I can never say the word Wally without saying Wally. Like it's almost impossible. There's a tagline of the whole entire movie and it goes like this. After 700 years of doing what he was built for, he'll discover what he's meant for. Right? Doesn't that sound good? After 700 years of doing what he was built for, he, Wally, will discover what he's meant for. And I think this tagline really hits home. Right? It, you, you've seen the movie. You've seen how that's played out as he's just done these tasks that he's been built to do, but he eventually discovers who he's meant to be. And it attaches with us, and it addresses really one of our deepest fears. And one of our deepest fears is this. Am I doing what I'm built for, what I've been given opportunities for, what my education has told me to do, what my friends have told me to do, what my parents have told me to do? Am I just doing what I'm built for, or am I doing what I'm meant for? And there's a difference there. It's the question of destiny, right? It's the question of am I making the right decisions in life? Where am I, is my life going? What is the trajectory of my life? Is it the trajectory that I desire? Is, it, is what going to bring meaning and purpose and satisfaction to my life? Am I doing what I'm built to do, or am I doing what I'm meant to do? And we all in the room want to discover what we're meant for, right? We don't want to just do what we've been told to do or what our education set us up to do. We want to find that thing that we are meant for. And so we're all chasing destiny. We're chasing our own destiny. And what happens when we, you chase after your destiny, right, is that it begins to affect you in a way where every little decision carries a lot of weight, a lot of weight. And so you, you stress out over every little decision, whether it's the right decision or the wrong decision. Should you change your job or not change your job? Should you move to a new city or not move to a new city? Should you find a new friend group? Or you, you're asking all these questions of every little decision because we fall into believing that every little decision is going to affect our destiny. And we want our destiny to be good. Yoda said this. He said, once you start down the dark path, it's a philosopher, Yoda, once you start down the dark path, Forever it will dominate your destiny. You like how I said Yoda, like it's just like, you know, just another guy. Once you start down the dark path, forever it will dominate your destiny. And, and the thing is, is that if we're honest, if we're honest tonight, deep down we are fearful that the decisions that we make in life are going to bring us down a path that we're not meant for. That is maybe a dark path, and we can't change it. It will forever affect our destiny. How many of you in the room have seen and enjoy the TV show Wipeout? Well, not very many. I applied to the show like many times. So if I was on it, you would have seen me. I did actually, in fact, apply to the show many times because I wanted to do the obstacle course. I mean, this show just looked amazing to me. I love watching people wipe out. That's the whole point of the show. And I wanted to try. I believed I won't wipe out, but I will, of course. But there's a section on the show where there's an obstacle course. This is the best part of the show. And there's a river that you have to cross. This is in almost every single episode. And as you're running towards this river, you have a choice to make. The choice is, do you just go for it? Because you can't jump the river, it's too far, and there's rocks placed in the river. 
And so they're set in a way where you can keep your momentum by jumping on rock to rock to rock and make it all the way across. But if you've seen the show, you know how they set this up. Some of the rocks are real. Some of the rocks are not. And so what happens is you, you see everyone that they look, they come to this river and some people stop and they try to figure out which rocks are fake and which ones are real. And then they jump very carefully from rock to rock to rock to try to make it across without falling. And then some people, they just go full on at it and they just jump and they just with all their might and they step on the wrong rock and they wipe out and their shoes fly off and they hit another rock and it's hilarious and amazing. This is why it's a brilliant show. And they have to swim to the other side. But see, this is what life feels like. Right? It's like you, you have this trajectory. Life is this obstacle course, and you're running, and you're dodging all these things. And there's these different moments in life where you get to these rivers. You get to this section that you know you need to cross, and you have all these different choices. And you are so fearful that you're going to step on the fake rock because you know what happens when you step on the fake rock. You wipe out. And it's not going to be good for you. Things are going to go flying everywhere. People are going to laugh at you. You're going to have to swim across the river. It's going to slow you down. And so you want to jump on the good, solid rocks, and you want to keep your momentum up. This is how we, we live life. And so every little decision comes with so much anxiety and fear, especially the big decisions. And those of us of faith, as, as a Christian, we make it even more difficult as we journey through life because here's the additional question that we ask. We don't just simply look at all the choices and ask ourselves, which rock is the right rock to jump on? What's the right decision and the bad decision? We also ask this question, what is God's will? Have you ever asked that question? What is God's will? What does God want me to do? Which rock does God want me to jump on? Because this is the rock that I want to jump on. I think this is the right one, but does God want me to? I'm not sure. So you go to church, and you pray, and you go to community group, and you spend time, and you do all these things, and then what happens is you begin to ask all these questions, and you have all this pressure, and then when you jump on the rock, and it's fake, and you thought it was the right rock, and you thought it was God's will, and it's what God wanted for you, then you start to get upset at God. You're like, God, listen, I did everything you told me to do, trying to be in your will, trying to do the right thing, and now I fell in the, everyone's laughing at me. Are you laughing at me? Like, can you make yourself more clear? Because we're chasing after this destiny that we believe is going to bring everything our heart desires, and we think every little decision affects the trajectory of our life and whether or not our life will end up in the way that we wanted it to be and whether or not we will actually find what we're meant for or if we'll just go through life doing what we're built for. And part of the problem is, is that we believe that our destiny is meant to be comfortable. I mean, no one looks at their life and says, you know what, I think what I'm meant for is discomfort. That, that's my life and I'm excited, you know? No one's, we all look at our lives and we say, what I'm meant for is comfort. I'm, I'm meant for a fulfilling, satisfying life. And so when we step wrong and we fall on the fake rocks and people laugh and we have to pick up our stuff and swim across the river, we believe that we're not in God's will. We believe that we made a wrong decision and maybe our destiny is being shifted and maybe we're never going to discover what we're meant for because we're facing discomfort. And if you've been with us in this series so far through the wisdom book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, we've entitled it The Chase, you know the teacher who's the main character. He's the narrator. He's the professor. He's the preacher, the teacher, the discussion leader that is leading this conversation on these big questions of life, the things that we chase after for fulfillment, satisfaction, happiness. 
you know he's going to say something about our assessment of destiny, about our chase of destiny and our anxiety over every little decision. And here's what he says in verse 7. He says, all people spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. So are wise people really better than, off than fools? Do poor people gain anything by being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? He starts off by saying, listen, life is a journey, and the journey of life is a journey of scratching for food. Not literally scratching for food from meal to meal, though some of us, myself included, are just thinking about the next meal. You know, you just, just go, what am I going to eat next? You know, I just ate, but I'm still thinking. But he's using this as an example for how life feels, that you're constantly scratching for something to fulfill you. And it's, it's strenuous. It takes effort. You're looking for all these things in life to fulfill you, and you're chasing all these different things. And then he begins to say, so are wise people really better off than fools? He's like, you think to yourself, well, if I get wisdom, and if I learn how to be wise in the ways of the world, and I make the right decisions, then surely I'm going to find what I'm looking for. I'm going to find that fulfillment. I'm going to find what I'm meant for. And he says, are wise people really better off than fools? Aren't both of them still scratching for food, for things to fulfill them? And then he said, what about poor people that, that have wisdom and they know how to act in front of others? The idea is that when you're poor, when, if you're wise, you learn how to act in front of people that will give you opportunities to advance yourself, will give you opportunities to escape poverty and to increase your wealth, to open up better opportunities because you're wise in your behavior. And his point is, so whether or not you're wise or a fool or whether or not you're poor or you're poor and you have wisdom and open up opportunities for you to escape that, are not you all in the same boat scratching for things to fulfill you? It doesn't matter. You're going to constantly be scratching for things to fulfill you because your destiny, every one of us in this room, your destiny, what you're meant for, it includes discomfort. Your destiny is not one of comfort. It is one of scratching. And so he says, enjoy what you have, in verse 9, rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Last week we looked at this word enjoy, and the word enjoy means in the Hebrew to look upon the good. And so he's saying here again, just like he said in the previous weeks, stop looking ahead. Stop looking ahead to what you possibly may achieve, what you may get, the accomplishments that you may find, the place that you may reach, as if that is going to bring you comfort and satisfaction and fulfillment and all the things that you desire. He's saying, instead, look upon the good in your current situation. Look at what you have. Don't take it for granted. Enjoy it. Enjoy what is before you instead of always daydreaming about what could be and where you will be. And once you get there, then you'll find everything you're looking for. He says, no, take a moment and enjoy what you have. Look upon the good and what is before you. And see, this sounds really good, right? Like This sounds really good to us. This is a value that we want to have which is we, want, we don't want to take things for granted. We want to look at the blessings that are before us. We want to enjoy them. Every one of us in this room desires to be content. Content in our current situation. 
See, contentment is found in any situation, and we want that. We desire it. It's a wonderful thing, but it is an elusive thing. Contentment is an elusive thing. And the reason it's elusive is because we've been fed this belief that our destiny is movable, right? That depending on your decision, and whether it's a good decision or a bad decision, a right decision or a wrong decision, your destiny will be shifted because... We've been told that our destiny is ours. It's in our hands. It is affected by our choices. Stanley Hauerwas is a theologian. He says this, The product of modernity, the project of modernity was to produce people who believe they should have no story except the story they choose. The project of modernity was to produce people who believe they should have no story except the story they choose. Does that resonate with you? It does me. When you were a kid, you had your favorite movies, right? Whether you watched Ninja Turtles or Mary Poppins, superhero movies, or James Bond. When you watched the movies as a child, what would happen after the movie, and maybe if you were like me, what would happen is you would begin to believe that you are that person, right? You watch a superhero movie, and what happens? You go in your closet, you get your costume, you get your Spider-Man, you get your Batman, you get your Wonder Woman, you get whatever you have, and you go in the backyard, and you are now all of a sudden Spider-Man. Like, you can do pretty much all the same things because you watch the movie, and now you're Spider-Man. So you're running around the backyard, you're climbing trees, you know, James Bond, you get your Nerf gun, you, you, bad guys are infiltrating the house, and so you're hiding, the door opens, you start just blasting the person that comes in the door, and it's your dad, and he's like, what's going on? You're like, sorry, dad, I thought you were a bad guy. Just protecting the house. Brown, Carter Brown, you know? <laughs> or you get your crew together, you get your friends, and you're going throughout the neighborhood, you're like, we're going to protect this neighborhood from any bad guys because you're the Ninja Turtles, and the friend that you don't like, you make Donatello because nobody wanted the stick. You know what I mean? Like, you got a stick. Everyone else has got swords and cool things. You got a stick. Like, you get the stick, bro. Or when it's really windy, you're like, this is a perfect moment to get on the roof and jump off with the umbrella and fly off into the wind, you know, like Mary Poppins. And you try it. It doesn't end up well. Right? When you're a child, here's the beauty of childhood imagination. You watch movies and you write yourself into that story. That story becomes your story. You become the superhero. You become the good guy. And as we grow up into adulthood, things don't really change. The only difference is, as a child even, we have some semblance that this is fantastical. And as an adult, we don't believe it's fantasy at all. Like We believe that we are the stars of our movie. We are the superheroes in our story. It is our story and our destiny. We are the stars. We are what the whole thing is about. And even social media feeds this belief, right? When you go on Instagram and you post pictures and videos to what? Your story, right? You post your pictures and your videos to your story, and you're very strategic about it. You're like, is the lighting good? It's like, the, you know, the selfie looks like it was just like no big deal, but it was like 45,000 tries. You know, you, you get the right angle. There's like you're out at a restaurant and there's like five people there, but you take an angle that looks like it's packed, you know, because you want people to believe 
that your life is unfolding in an incredible way. Your story is exciting and awesome and good. And so we're very strategic even about what we share because we believe that we are meant to be stars in our movie. We're the superhero. In the sense, in this sense, we have fallen into the same trap that Adam and Eve fell into in the very beginning of Scripture, and that is we've fallen into the trap of believing that we can create our story and be like God. We don't need God. We can become like God and make our story and write our story in a way that will fulfill our desires. And what happens is this belief then causes the things that we struggle with, right? All the anxiety and all the fear and all the stress and all the pressure that every little decision and the big decisions they affect us in that way where we carry that around because we believe that every decision, whether it's a right or a wrong decision, a good or a bad, will affect our destiny because our destiny is movable. And nobody wants to jump on the fake rocks. We want to keep our momentum up. We want to find out who we're meant to be. And it's on us to do that. And then the extra pressure is the question of whether or not we are in God's will. Is this what God wants? Is this the right step or the wrong step? And we get stuck oftentimes, right? Have you ever felt that? You feel the pressure of the decisions that you just feel paralyzed? Like, I don't know what to do. I, I, can, can someone tell me the right decision? Because I don't know what to do. And the teacher has something to say about this. He, he says in verse 10, everything has already been decided. It was known long ago what each person would be. So there's no arguing with God about your destiny. The more words you speak, the less they mean. So what good are they? He's saying you can believe that you're writing your story, but you're not. You are not writing your story. You are not the star in your movie. You are not the superhero in your story. You can say whatever you want to God. You can argue with God. You can be upset about the way that your story is unfolding. You can believe that your choices affect the end, but they don't. It's already been written. And this is a hard realization. And a lot of you are probably thinking this right now. I don't know how I feel about that. Because we want to believe that we're in control. I know that. I feel this. I want to believe that I'm in control because I believe that I know best. And Isaiah 45, 9 reminds us this. It says, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pod argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? See, one of the things that happens, and one of the reasons why we bristle against the idea of our destiny being fixed and our destiny being in God's control and already being decided and not being movable and us not being the stars, the reason we have a problem with that a lot of times is we don't like the way that our story is currently unfolding. We don't like the way that we're being shaped. We don't like the trajectory. There are things that we see in the horizon that we are fearful of. It's like we can see what's coming and we don't think that this is a good thing because our destiny should not include discomfort, surely. And so we, we bristle and, and we, we kind of argue with God at times. Sometimes maybe we don't say it out loud because you think, well, I, I didn't say it in a prayer so God doesn't really know, but wait, oh no, he knows. You know, it's like we're frustrated with the way that our life is playing out. We're not where we thought we should be. 
We haven't achieved what we thought we should achieve. We don't have the friendships and the relationships and the things that we thought we should have at this moment. And things have broken down that we never expected to break down. And this idea that we're not in control and we're not shaping our own life is really, really difficult. We want to believe that we control our destiny. This terminology is used a lot in college football. If you watch college football, you've heard this all the time by analysts and sportscasters and journalists and coaches. It will speak about a team that controls their destiny. Have you heard this before? This team, you just need to control your destiny, which is to say, they're, they're saying that the, the team before you, as long as they win three games or five games or two games, as long as they do what's necessary before them, they will achieve and fulfill their destiny. They will reach their desired end. No external factors can affect them. They control their destiny. And this is how we believe at times life can work, right? We are in control of our destiny. We just, have to, we just need a few more wins. Take all the external factors out of it. We just need a few more wins, and we will finally get to where we were meant to be. As the quote we read last week by the CEO of Zappos, where he says, we just believe that we need to envision, create, and believe in our own universe, and then the universe will form around us. Don't worry about the external factors because you control your own destiny. I read this article this past week about Alabama. Do we have any Alabama fans in the room? Good. So <laughs> it was about Alabama's perfect season in 2009, and they didn't lose a game. And they, they spoke about how everybody was saying that they controlled their destiny because they were ranked high, and all they had to do was win. Didn't matter what other teams did. Didn't matter what other people said. Nothing mattered as long as Alabama won their games. They would reach the championship game. They didn't have to worry about jockeying for position or, or votes about which team should be ranked where they were. They started the season number one. They just needed to win their games. They controlled their own destiny. They ended up winning the national championship. And it looks from the outside like they just con they controlled their destiny. They, they took one step at a time. They made a right decision and a good decision each and every single game. And they got to where they wanted to be. They discovered who they were meant for. And yet, when you look at this in retrospect, it's very interesting. When you dig into what actually happened, you realize that there were so many huge breaks that happened for Alabama throughout that season that they had no control over that helped contribute to them getting to that point to where they ended up winning the national championship. They played Tennessee, and Tennessee was about to upset them, was going to beat them, and yet Tennessee's kicker, who was one of the most reliable kickers in the entire country in that game, pulled his hamstring and missed two field goals. Alabama won the game. Then Alabama played LSU in this, this huge match that was against both, and it was like, who was going to win? And during that game, LSU lost their star quarterback, their star running back, and their star defensive back. And Alabama ended up pulling out a victory. And then they get all the way to the championship game, and they play Texas, another team that controlled their own destiny. These two teams controlled their own destiny, and they reached the end, and only one is going to win. In the very first drive of the game, Texas has a star quarterback named Colt McCoy who was eventually drafted into the NFL, and the first drive of the game, 
he tears his shoulder and he can't play. And they put in a true freshman quarterback who's never played a snap of college football in his life. And from that moment on, everybody knew there is no way that Texas can win this game. It is impossible. And Alabama ended up winning easily. Both of those teams controlled their destiny, and there was a huge break that favored Alabama and enabled them to get to where they desired to be. And Texas, on the other hand, who also controlled their destiny, the break didn't go in their favor. They ended up losing the game. And see, this isn't to say that Alabama doesn't deserve credit for their win, but it is to help us realize that even when we think that we are in control of our destiny and that no external factors matter, we're wrong. All of these external factors that we cannot control that happen in our lives affect each and every step and affect us to where we get to. It affects our destiny, and yet we pour so much time and attention and anxiety into making the right decision because we don't want to take the wrong step because we really, truly believe deep down that we're in control of our story. And the teacher asks a rhetorical question of us. He says, essentially, like, okay, just imagine for a second that you were actually in control of your destiny, of writing the writing of your story. He says, in the few days of our meaningless lives, who knows how our days can best be spent? He's essentially saying this, okay, imagine, just imagine that you are in fact in control, that it isn't God writing your story, it is you writing your story. Do you really know how to best spend your life? Do you really trust yourself to always make the right decision, to always know what is the good decision? Or are we just constantly correcting all the decisions that we make because we recognize that even though we can look at two different rocks and we really believe this one is real, there's about a 50-50 chance that it's not. And we keep taking steps and they're not always good steps. He's saying, do we really know how to best spend our days? You see, the teacher is trying to reinforce a few points and, and here's the first one. The first one is that your destiny is not comfortable. The end, your story is, is not going to be one of comfort. Now, there will be moments of comfort, but there's going to be discomfort. Every single story has moments and times and seasons of discomfort because that's life. And so he's encouraging you to recognize that and to understand that, that your story is going to have discomfort. It's going to be a scratching. Then secondly, that we're to stop chasing our destiny Stop chasing your destiny. Instead, take a moment and relax and look upon the good at what you have. Enjoy your current situation. Recognize your blessings and enjoy them and God's grace in your life. Don't take for granted what is before you. Stop chasing your destiny. Third, that your destiny is already fixed. It is fixed by God. He is shaping. He is the, the person that is making and shaping your life and you are the clay. It is already fixed, and you need to stop fighting. And then lastly, that it is actually good that you aren't in control. It's good that you're not in control. It's good that I'm not in control of my life because I don't know how to best spend my days. We don't know the right decision all the times. We don't know what is good all the time. And so it is actually good that we are not in control. And this last point is meant to cause us to just rest and relax for a moment. 
Like, let the anxiety and the stress and the pressure just fall off your back for a moment and recognize that God is in control of your story. Rest and recognize that God is shaping your life. And that should cause you to take a breath. John Lennon said this, there's nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. There's nowhere that you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. You see, if God is in control of your story and if he's shaping your life and if he's written it and he's the one that's shaping and guiding, then you are right now where you're meant to be. Do you believe that? Do you believe that right now, where you are in life, your relationships, here in the city, your work, all the things that you're struggling with, the things that are going well, everything in your life that you are right now where you're meant to be. Because if God is writing your story, and if he's in control, then you are exactly where you're meant to be. You don't have to ask the question, well, am I just doing what I'm built for, or have I discovered what I'm meant for? No, you are where you're meant to be. And so if these things are true, if it, if it is true that your destiny is not one of comfort, it will have discomfort. If you're to stop chasing destiny and to enjoy what is before you, if your destiny is fixed by God, and if it's a good thing that it's fixed by God, then the natural question is to ask yourself this, okay, well, then, then how do I live now? Like, what am I supposed to do? Just walk out of here like, okay, great, that's awesome. What do I do? I don't know. Well, so there's two answers to that question. The first one is this. The first thing that you're to do and that I'm to do is that we're to give in to God's story. God is writing his story in your life, and you're to give into it, to stop chasing after your destiny that you think you can manufacture for meaning and purpose and happiness, and instead rest and recognize that it's already written. And no amount of hard work and no amount of determination and no amount of better behavior and no amount of extra prayers is going to change your destiny. It's written. This is not to say that you shouldn't work hard. This is not to say that you shouldn't have goals and seek to achieve them. This is not to say that you shouldn't desire to see a healthy, godly behavior in life kind of continue to grow in you. And this is not to say that you couldn't, shouldn't continually every single day pray to God about where he's leading you and, and the story that he's writing in your life. These are all really good things, but it is to say that you don't have to worry about taking the wrong step. You don't have to worry about taking the wrong step. Like for all the stress, if you're here and you're asking yourself this question, am I in God's will? Yes. Like you're in God's will. He is writing your life. And listen, here's the thing that you need to understand. If God is in control of your destiny, if he's writing your story, then if you begin to go off, guess what God will do? He'll pull you back. Because he's in control. You are not in control. He is in control. And you are to seek to give in to his story, to spend time with him and to spend time with his people and to spend time with his word and be, continue to pray, continue to ask God, where are you guiding me? Where are you taking me? It is good to ask those questions of God, but it is not good to sit in this place of indifference, this place of passivity, this place of fear and anxiety. God has come to set you free in Christ to know that your destiny is already written. God is writing your story. He is in control of it. 
And you can rest in that. You can stop beating yourself up over every little decision. If you make a wrong decision, if you step on a false rock, God is going to pick you up by his grace. He's going to surround you with his love, and he's going to help lead you to the better decision because he's in control of your life. You can rest. It is good news that the author of your life is the one who has promised to work what in your life? God has promised to work good in your life. Not evil, good. He has already written your story, and your story is exciting, it is beautiful, and it is good because God's writing it. So you can rest and relax and enjoy what is before you for a moment. The other thing that it means to give into God's story is it means to recognize that you're not the star of your movie. The star of your story is Jesus Christ. He's to be the star. As you give into his story, as you give into God's story, you realize two things about yourself. One is that you're helpless. And it's important to understand that. Because Jesus' story helps us to see that. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love. We can't be good enough. We don't even know how to best spend our days. We are not in control of our destiny. We don't always make the right decisions. We can never be good enough for God. And the story of Jesus Christ reminds us that God has come for you. He has come to rescue you in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has released you by faith through grace in Christ, because he has died for your sins and he has powerfully resurrected from the grave. And when you believe that, when you trust in that, you're free. You were helpless, but now you're free. So it helps you to recognize who you are in God's story, but you're not only helpless. The other aspect of that, and this is really important here, is that you're important. You're important because Christ died for you. He died for you because he loves you and because you're important to him. And because you're an important character in God's story, that means that not only are you to give in to God's story, it means that you have a role to fulfill. You have a role to fulfill in God's story that he's writing in your life. I better see almost every hand in the room raised from this one. How many Toy Story fans do I have in the room? Come on, that's a lot more. I also heard this, by the way, that some of you don't raise your hands even though you agree. You're like, "Mm," you know. Or you're like, even down here, if you're like really nervous. I think everyone in this room is probably a Toy Story fan because it's one of the greatest trilogies ever. It's funny. It is heartwarming. It's full of adventure. And the character development is amazing. And you see this most notably in the main character, Woody. And you see the way that he develops throughout all three of the movies. The way that he interacts, the way that he loves, the way that he sacrifices himself for others, and the way that he's a leader. And at the very end of Toy Story 3, the movie ends with a grown-up Andy who is is going off to college. And he looks down at Woody, and he picks him up. Andy is the owner of Woody and many of the other toys. And here's what he says. He says, what makes Woody special is that he'll never give up on you, ever. He will be there for you no matter what. And this is how the movie ends. What makes Woody special is that he'll never give up on you ever, and he will be there for you no matter what. He's saying that what's special about Woody is that he displays this sacrificial love and commitment to those around him. See, this is equivalent to what Jesus has promised 
all of us of faith is that one day we'll stand before God at the very end of our story on this earth and God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my master. That one day we'll stand before God if you are a person of faith, if you believe and trust in Jesus Christ that you have received God's grace, regardless of the decisions that you make, regardless of the times that you step on a false rock and you fall and wipe out and people laugh, regardless of all the anxiety and all the fear and all the questions over all the right and wrong decisions you're going to make, as a person of faith that has received the grace of God, you will stand before God as you give into his story and as you fulfill your role and God will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Your story isn't over. Enter into the joy of my master for eternity. This is our story. You see what made Woody special was not that he was in control of his destiny. It's not that he moved people aside to get and achieve what he needed, that he just needed a few more wins and he needed to get other people out of the way so that he could achieve and find what he was meant to be. What made him special was that he sacrificed himself for others, that he showed love for others and he was committed to them. And this is our role as well. This is your role to play in your story, regardless of your circumstances. Whether you enjoy the way that your story is unfolding or whether you're struggling with it, you're in a place of frustration and stress and fear that your role is to show sacrificial love to others because you have received the sacrificial love of Christ. So as you give in to God's story, you fulfill your role by showing the love of Christ to others. This is why we're important characters in God's story because we display God's love to others. So instead of chasing destiny, we chase after Luke 9, 24 that says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, for Jesus, will save it. Let's pray.